So we are back on The Chosen Journey with Steve Carsey. Steve, welcome back. Good to be back as always. And as promised, as we finished off on the All-Star Game chapter, it is time to talk about the MLB trade deadline. This episode, we are foreshadowing into the future because as we're going to air it, the trade deadline will come and go. So we're not going to be one of those uh, programs where we're going to try to predict who will get traded and which teams are sellers and who are buyers and et cetera. Let's talk about the trade deadline in general. And having lived through trade deadlines and experienced trade, trade deadlines, let's start off you know, from the whole concept of it. How stressful is it generally as a player as trade deadlines approach? You know, does most guys handle it pretty well? Is it talked a lot in the clubhouses? Like, how does that work? Uh, most guys handle it pretty well. I think uh, a lot of guys know, depending what contract they're on, uh, if they're one of those guys who are going to be talked about uh, switching teams, guys who are, in, you know, uh, multi-deals that have low base salaries and maybe some incentives or guys to go depending on positions. But guys, guys know uh, it's, it's talked about in the clubhouse amongst the players, never obviously with the coaches or anybody, but uh, you have an idea as a player, if you're one that's going to be on the trading block or, or if you're one that's safe with that ball club uh, as, as the deadline approaches. So you got to experience the trade deadline very, very early in your career, correct? I did. I got uh, three years into my baseball career. I got to, uh, you know, understand the business side of baseball a little bit more, probably quicker than most people do at the age of 21. Uh, you know, I knew it existed. Did I ever think I was going to get traded? No, I did not. Uh, we had a lot of talented players uh, on our double A team that we discussed and talked about. Uh, you know, the Sean Greens, the Delgados, the Howard Battles, uh, you know, um, Alex Gonzalez, who was a shortstop for, for the Blue Jays for many years. We have plenty of guys who could have been traded. Uh, and it's just the needs of the other ball club that uh, or the asks of the other ball club when they're when a team is looking for a premium player in return. Uh, sometimes it's prospects. Sometimes it's, you know, guys who are controllable uh, that the other teams want um, and uh, that's just kind of how it works out. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, I, I knew my name was being floated around. I didn't think it was going to happen, but you never say never. And, uh, you know, I was the one that uh, the Oakland A's wanted. And I felt very fortunate at that particular time that Billy Bean and that organization uh, looked at me in such a high standard that they would trade Ricky Henderson uh, and ask for me in return. Well, I got to ask, first of all, and we kind of covered a little bit, but we'll talk about it again, is as far as in the, in the area era of no social media, no smartphones. So there's, there's not the type of thing where you're going and you're checking every second on MLB trade rumors or anything like that. Really, really different times, you know, in, in that at that point in time. So essentially, do you find out about the trade at the same time as pretty much everybody else? Or how does that work? No, they're respectful. Um, you know, the front office will call the manager. The manager will talk to the player uh, in most cases. And the play, and then the player talks to the manager. And, and that, that is how the, you know, transaction is kind of made, is you're told by the manager that you're getting traded and expect that and to pack your stuff up and go. And then uh, once the front office knows from the manager that he has told you, then uh, they will make their calls or do what they need to do to let 
the media know that uh, uh, the trade has been made and, and is completed. Um, different world today. You have, you know, you know the Tim Kirchens and the Verducci's and all of those guys who are always on their phones. They're texting front office people. They're getting information. So uh, it, it just happens a lot faster today. Uh, I'm not sure that, uh, you know, it happens quite as, as secretly as it did 20, 30 years ago. Uh, I still think that it's always done, that I've always been around as a coach. Uh, the respectful way to do it is, is the way I just talked about, uh, to let the player know before it hits the media. So they're not in shock or didn't have an idea that it was coming. Um, and, and most teams uh, do business like that. But this is not a case where 21 years old uh, Gillick and Ash are calling up your agent. Your agent calls you up and says, they're thinking about trading you. What do you think about this, Steve? And then the four of you sit down in a room together and hash it out. Well, I think we have this offer for Henderson. How do you feel about that, Steve? Are you okay with going to Oakland? The trade's already consumed at that point. Like there's, there's, there's yeah, no it, it, it doesn't happen like that. Yeah. And, and you know what? To be quite honest with you, uh, I don't think it works like that, anyways, uh, with players today. I don't think. The agent, you know, the, the front office calls the agent. If the front office wants to trade a player, they're going to trade a player, whether the agent wants them to trade them or not. Uh, it, they're doing what's best for the owner. That's who pays the front office and the GM is the owner. And they tell their GM to put the best team together and to put the pieces together so we can try to win here. And, uh, you know, whoever's involved in that trade, whether they want to go or not, that's just the game of baseball. And, and, and that's how it's done. So we have, uh, I think it's still there as far as the 10 year rule that if you've uh, played uh, 10 years or more and five or more with the same team that you have the right to veto something along those lines. There's the, the that's right. Rule. It's a, it's called, that's right. It's called the 10, five rule, yeah. uh, 10 years in the big leagues, five with the same team. Uh, you have to get permission from that player to be, to be traded. The, the one that I, I don't love, and I get the players have the right to negotiate everything as far as no trade clauses go or they have limited trade clauses and they the protected list as far as teams they're willing to go to, teams they're not willing to go to. But you also see the list sometimes, and you know they're putting that some certain teams on the list just because they know they'll give them a bigger bonus or something. There's all sorts of trade and finagling in the background. And so much happens in this day and age that wasn't going on 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, well, there's a lot of reasons why guys on the limited uh, no trade put teams there. They pick teams that, or cities that they don't want to go to, teams that aren't very good, uh, you know, cities that they don't like. To be quite honest with you, probably some of those no trade clauses are some uh, some cities that uh, the guy's wife doesn't like or doesn't want to go to. Yeah. Uh, so they kind of come together and put, you know, with their agent, hey, here's my 10 teams I do not want to play for and I do not want to go to, uh, you know, and then uh, that's up to the team to put it in their contract and negotiate that with the agent. If that's what they get, that's what they get. I'm thinking, putting myself in your shoes as a 21-year-old, like you're saying it, and getting traded for Ricky Henderson, one of the greatest baseball players of all time, being linked to him that way, and as a youngster, and the team thinking that highly of you, going to that Oakland A's team, that ballpark, that staff, I, I'm telling you, I think they did you the biggest favor on the planet. I love that fit. I thought that was a great move for them. In Toronto, they were very sad to see you go, and they really had high hopes for you as the future ace, but that's how the game works out. And you never ended up pitching for the Jays, but went on uh, to start off your career with the A's. And, but the other thing is also, like you're saying, you knew from a young age now as a player, it's a business and you know it very early on versus a 
player that was drafted by a team, played with the team his whole life, and also gets traded further on his career, and and that shock. So you got to understand that business early on, and do you feel that that made it easier for you as far as future movement goes between teams? Oh, no doubt, a hundred percent. You know, after I learned the first time how it works, um, I, I was always aware of trade deadlines. I was always aware if I was one that might be traded, and then going through it the first time. Uh, is very difficult and very hard. You're crafted by a team that you feel like wanted you and you signed with that team and you wanted to get to big leagues with that team. Uh, and then they trade you away. So it gives you a little bit of a, you know, a bitter taste in your mouth. But at the end of the day, they're doing what they felt like they needed to do to win the World Series. And it gave me an opportunity to get to the big leagues a little bit quicker and uh, start to establish myself and establish my career. And it worked out for everybody at the end in that way. When you look back then through your career, your pitching days, any other trade deadlines as far as certain years stick out on your mind more than others? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think that, uh, you know, every trade lines, trade deadline's unique. Uh, it just depends, you know, it goes in waves. You know, sometimes it's more pitchers that get, uh, that get traded. Sometimes it's more position players. Uh, it's the needs of the team. I don't think it's, uh, you know, symmetrical from year to year to, to who goes or what position goes. I just think that, uh, you know, injuries play a big factor in teams. And, and if they're, uh, you know, a little short in one area, whether it be hitting or pitching, that's what they're going to target. And, you know, it's just like the Phillies this year. The Phillies, I think, feel like they have a really good hitting ball club and they can put some runs on the board. I think they feel a little lack in the pitching department. So I would assume that, uh, you know, they're going to target some, some arms like they did uh, last year with Gibson and, and a couple other guys and uh, try to upgrade their pitching to give them an opportunity to get into that wild card spot and, and maybe give themselves a, a chance for a run at the World Series. When I was in, in Pittsburgh and watching them play, uh, facing off the Yankees, uh, all it was talk over there was trade deadline time and which guys are going to go. Now Quintana is going to go for sure. Uh, big boy, the DH ended up getting traded. Uh, that was not a big surprise over to the Mets. And, uh, you know, it's always teams like Pittsburgh, inevitably that small market club, small payroll, you know, didn't really make it over the hump anywhere close to the playoffs. Let's retool. Let's trade the guys. We have guys on low contracts. They're good value. We'll get good prospects. And it's a never ending cycle, you know, but yet a team like Tampa Bay seem to do that and make themselves play playoff contenders. It's incredible how it can be so similar yet get different results. Uh, it is. And certain teams have better analytics and target certain guys. And, you know, I think uh, Tampa Bay has, uh, you know, figured something out that many other teams have not at this particular point. And they target certain guys and they target certain pitches and certain movements of pitches that really put them at the forefront of the, the pitching uh, department um, and and they understand that they can get certain guys for low cost and then ride them out and see how it trans transfers and then what they do is when these guys get too too good or they're going to make too much money then they'll trade those guys to a team that's hungry for a veteran guy who's had success and start you know stocking up their farm system or stocking up on young guys who they target and and that's kind of just how they work with a, with a short payroll or with a low payroll. Uh, Oakland does the same thing. I mean, obviously the Brewers are a little bit more uh, 
in the in the middle of the pack, uh, but they target uh, very similar types of, of pitchers. Um, and it's it's just a never ending cycle, you know. I mean, the larger market teams, some of them have really good analytics, like the Dodgers, and in my opinion, some of them have very light analytics, like the Mets. Um, and you know, it it, it kind of shows. I mean, you know, the Mets are able to go out and pay forty. $43 million for Scherzer and, you know, 10 million for Carrasco and, uh, you know, however much they're paying for DeGrom at this point, 25, 30 million. Uh, it's crazy. Um, and don't, to, don't to forget Bobby that, Bonilla is still on the payroll. Oh well. yeah. He's still on the payroll for a million and a half or whatever it is every July 1st, but just, uh, just, just for yeah. another 30 years, it's fine. It's all good. I think it's still what 2032 or 2042 or something crazy like that. Great for his agent who, uh, you know, was able to get that deferred money, but a lot of guys do the deferred money type of stuff. Now, yeah. a lot of guys like your money up front, but at the end of the day, if you're collecting a million dollars for really doing nothing every July 1st, you're, you're in a good spot. I remember Dave Steve did a similar thing with the blue Jays back in the day. And there's certain guys that are able to do that. Also uh, for those watching, I don't know if it's been finished yet, but there's an auction for the Bobby Bonilla contract, which if you want to own that very famous contract, Apparently, you can also get on a Zoom call with Bobby. He'll send you some memorabilia. So uh, if you're a big Bobby Bonilla fan, maybe that's for you. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated this year by the names being thrown around because compared to many other years, it's very limited. It seems like people are really, really stuck on Juan Soto. Now they're getting obsessed with Shohei Otani. I do not think Otani's going anywhere. That's my prediction right now. I don't think they're building around him. It's, I don't think it's going to happen. They don't need to move him. Uh, Soto... I think move them, not move them. You know, it's, I always see it as more as those grinder role players that get in there. Those are the difference makers, not revamping yourself and trading away like half your prospects for one big player. But uh, people seem to really, really uh, focused on Soto this year. Any general thoughts on him in general, as far as, you know, him moving and, and you know, having been, you know, drafted and, and with Washington all these years or indifference? No, I mean, it, it, it's a thing, right? I mean, it all depends where your team team is at uh, at the trading deadline and forecasting your team for three or four years out. I mean, it's not just about this year. Um, you know, is Juan Soto going to make that big of a difference being on your team next year making $20 million, uh, if you're not going to spend money and, and, and get players around him and players are going to leave? So this is the opportunity right now for a 23-year-old superstar uh, if you can get a King's ransom for him to set your organization up for many years to come with very controllable young players is what they're asking from what I've been reading. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a few teams that line up with them, but uh, they can ask what they want. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, the other team has to pay up if they really want this guy and uh, and, and see if he's worth what the, uh, they're willing to give up if the nationals come knocking at their door. I mean, I think the Cardinals are probably in the best spot uh, out of any team that I've kind of seen rosters for with young controllable players that the nationals may want for Juan Soto and the window of opportunity for the Cardinals is, is kind of right now, right. With Goldschmidt, Arenado, uh, their pitching is, is, is holding their own right now. And they're only a few games out of the division behind the Brewers. So uh, at the end of the day, Juan Soto is a, a prized possession for any team to put in the outfield with his skills. And uh, it's just a matter of what they're willing to give up for that. 
And whether he's even going to be traded this year or in the off season, I mean, there's still time with him. So they don't, they're not pressed for it. Josh Bell also has been thrown around a lot. The latest rumor is him going to the Brewers potentially. I see him being moved for sure. It makes sense. And, you know, generally as far as uh, late inning arms, especially rentals, you know, they're going to be a free agent at the end of the year for somebody trying to go over the hump. If it's me, I'm loading up with as many late inning arms as I can. That's why I'd be focusing on almost any team. You can never have enough bullpen arms. And like, I, I think the Royals, the year that they won, you know, is the greatest example. When you have essentially three closers, it's, it's a nice luxury to have. No doubt. I mean, um, again, it's a matter of what a team is willing to give up as far as what the return is going to be for a power arm in the back end of, end of the bullpen. They don't come cheap. Uh, I can tell you that unless you're targeting a certain player and you're going to put them in the back end of your bullpen, kind of like uh, we did in, in 19 with Drew Pomerantz. You know, we traded for him, uh, you know, from the Giants. He was starting at the time, was never in the bullpen. Um, he wasn't a very good starter in 19 for the Giants and, and they were willing to give him up for a really highly touted prospect in Maurice Dubon. Uh, and Dubon went over there. We got him. We put him in the pen and he became a godsend. Like we, we put a second left hander in there um, like Josh Hader and his stuff played like Josh Hader in 19. Um, and then he went on and became a free agent after that. And that, that's why he was so cheap to get. So it just depends the, the team, the ask, uh, the contract, uh, the many factors that go into it. Uh, one guy, I, I think back to the years and, you know, when the Cubbies broke the curse and Aroldis Chapman getting acquired by them. Uh, I remember those playoffs very vividly. And in my mind, it was those playoffs, which if you have to explain what happened to his drop in velocity, his arm problems, his injuries, I mean, from all that overuse in the playoffs in such a short amount of time, I think there's your answer. I, I think he was a good team player and making himself available, pitching extra extra innings to get to, to get the title. But when you're used to a certain role, like you mentioned in the All-Star game, for example, not, you don't want to mess with the starter schedule. If you're a guy pitching, you know, one inning, X amount of pitches, and now you're pitching two, two and a half innings consistently in the playoffs, it can have an effect on you, Correct. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think so. I, I, I think uh, Andrew Miller went through the same kind of deal in 16 when, you know, we acquired him from the Yankees uh, for the four prospects and he came in and he was unbelievable. Uh, but when he got to the playoffs, it was, you know, game after game after game and high leverage situations and stressful situations. Uh, and I think it took a toll on him and beat up his body a little bit. And in my opinion, was never the same guy that he was in 16 and maybe 17. Uh, and then it's the, he started to break down, but uh, still had a, a solid career. And, uh, you know, those, those things happen. It's just, uh, you know, you know, when a guy is hot, you ride a guy for as long as you can, especially when you're winning and you're trying to get that ring. Because, like I said, there's no guarantee about a ring, no matter how good a, a roster is. Uh, you got to play the game. and you know, you, you got to have be in the right spot at the right time to, to be able to do it and to, to win a world championship. And there's so many examples of this in so many different ways. You know, you can look at Rick and Keel with La Russa back in the St. Louis days. And, you know, it, it's again, you, you want to win that title so bad, you'll do almost whatever it takes. It's a young arm and just, you know, he, he's throwing heat and he's getting everybody out. We're just going to milk it for as long as we can. And you can't say you blame them as you, you got to go for it, you know, but it does come at the, at the risk of a future career. 
one that I don't, I'm not gonna say for overuse, but uh, just one that I marveled and I wanted your take on him a bit as a uh, as a former closer is Daniel Bard. And uh, did this guy find the uh, the fountain of youth, or what the heck has happened there? Have you got to watch him pitch much uh, this year? Just a little bit, but uh, great resurrection, right? I mean, figured a few things out. Probably was not as healthy as he wanted to be. Uh, you know, he'd gone through a few problems and then figured out what was wrong. And, and somebody gave him a chance and he took the opportunity and took that chance and ran with it. And now you see how he's pitching, um, you know, maybe a couple of years off, helped his arm. Uh, and, and now he's in his thirties pitching. Uh, how long will that last? We'll, we'll find out, but uh, you know, it, it's a nice story. It's one where you root for a guy like that and uh, you hope, you hope for the best and, you hope he continues to pitch the way he's pitching and, and, you know, ride out his career as long as he can. And Robertson's another guy with the Cubbies and uh, just he's found, found his way again and uh, lights out. And I love those stories, you know, of guys that were able to do it, guys that either got injured or lost their way and then find their way back. It's got to be very fulfilling, especially, you, you know, you, you've talked about your story before as far as when you choose to leave the game, but it's the best feeling when you get to leave on your terms, when you, you, you know, uh, you could still go, you don't know for how long, but you know what, I, I'm done versus the game telling you you're done. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's perseverance, it's determination. Uh, you know, it, it's things that uh, guys strive for and, and want to do their best and their bodies will let them know when it's, when it's time. But if there's anything left in the tank and you have the opportunity, since it's such a short window of a career, uh, you take every opportunity to play the game as long as you can and then you walk away if you can walk away on your own terms and, and feel complete with it. From a player's perspective, and it's, and it's something I, I noticed that is not discussed enough in the media or between fans, but understanding that, you know, if somebody has a career, has a job in a certain city, you're, you have your home, your house set up, imagine, you know, you're a plumber and you're working away in your town and all of a sudden somebody picks you up, hands you plane tickets, says, packs your bags, you're going across the country, by the way, you're going to be plumbing in a different country altogether. You have a wife, you have kids, they're in schools. People forget about all these kind of factors. How much does that play in for an average ball player as far as family decisions go of when they, when they get traded? Well, it plays a lot. I mean, you have no choice if you're getting traded. You just got to tell your wife or your kids, hey, listen, we're here. You're coming with. We can rent another place here. Or if you want to stay here or go back to home base, wherever that is, it's two more months and, you know, we'll figure it out. But of course it plays into it. I mean, you know, people got to understand whether sports players in general, basketball, football, baseball, hockey, uh, they're human too. I mean, you know, they have families, they have kids, uh, they have feelings. They, they understand that, you know, uh, this is what comes with the job and we have to deal with some of this, but uh, like anybody, uh, it's, it's not easy sometimes. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of factors that play into, uh, you know, how a guy's feeling, how he's performing, um, and, and, and they're human. So, uh, you know, I just, there's a human side of the game that I, I think uh, people sometimes forget um, and, and uh, don't understand, but uh, it's real. I, I would think putting myself in the shoes of a player uh, people go through normal human events. They go through family deaths. They go through divorce. They go through all sorts of trauma of all sorts of kinds. 
And, you know, you're, you're brought up and a lot of us, we've got to toughen it up, you know, just got to play the game, put your head down, get it done, you know, and the mental side of, of sports is so big that it can affect the physical side. And I think a lot of people forget that people are human and looking at slumps and they're yelling at them and screaming at them. And they're thinking, why isn't he trying harder? And, you know, people, you know, depression, anxiety, there are people that you know, have a hard time just getting out of bed in the morning or off the couch. And they got to go in front of a stadium of 50,000 people. It's the last place they want to be because their brain is with uh, their trauma and it, and it ain't as easy thing, you know? And, and, and then, but when a player does come out and talk about it and says, you know, I'm asking for help. Uh, I'm dealing with personal items. Uh, mental health is a real thing, man. They get half the time they get line based for that. And you can't win either way. It's so sad. Yeah, it's a focus thing, right? Sometimes your focus is not on the field and sometimes your focus is on other things going on in your life uh, from the human side of it. Like you said, death in the family, uh, divorce, uh, breaking up with your girlfriend. I mean, uh, whatever it might be, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's real and, and people need to just understand that, uh, you know, Baseball players are real people. Basketball players are real people. And uh, they have everyday issues just like you do. We, we won't get into it, but I can tell you in Toronto sports, at least I keep coming back to it just because of, of where we're based out of here. But uh, a lot of stories come out. The Toronto media is pretty relentless, like they're New York light. But when you find out, for example, on a hockey team that one player slept with another player's wife and it got through at the dressing room and somebody gets traded, that can get quite messy and we really want to avoid those kind of situations. I can't imagine being in the dressing room and dealing with that. So we won't go there, but people have to understand there's a lot of circumstances go into this stuff. So it's very often can be on a personal side as much as it's a professional one or for political reasons. And, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you didn't hear about agents, you know, talking about, and we've talked about it before on other episodes, but agents bringing up the fact that, oh, my, my player is not happy with this position or his playing time wants to get traded. And that's never a good look, I think, when that comes out. I think we, as a player, you know, publicly stating something like that, it's just not a good feeling. It doesn't give a good look to the person, not a good feeling for the city itself. What is that telling the next city you're going into? In my professional opinion, try to do that behind closed doors. I don't like when that's aired out. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, and it's unfortunate when things get leaked out like that, whether it's from the player's side or from the team side. Uh, you know, you try to keep it in-house and behind closed doors so you don't let the media get wind of it and get it out in the open open air but uh you know that's again part of the business right that's part of how teams try to rein in their players by getting it out in the media and making them look bad so they can look good and vice versa it's getting it out ahead of the story on the player's side that the team wants him to do a certain thing and he doesn't want to do it so it makes the player look better uh that's going to always be part of sports one way or another and, uh, you know, the, the better relationship you have with the team, I think, uh, you know, things stay under control a little bit more. In the previous chapter, you alluded to the fact that uh, history could have changed itself as far as you getting traded for Ricky Henderson in your early stages of your career that could have been Randy Johnson. And you threw me for a total loop there. So we promised from trade deadline we were going to bring that up. You did uh, bring up a little more details as far as uh, the Seattle GM being on the golf course. And uh, missing Pat Gillick's call or Gordash's call. And that's why likely the reverse happened. But uh, can you walk us through as far as how you heard that trade was supposed to go down and how likely it was actually going to happen back in the day? 
Well, I mean, just from stories that I've heard and things that I've read and people that I've talked to, uh, obviously uh, a GM goes through uh, many teams and acquires about many players, whether it's Toronto going to Oakland or Toronto going to Seattle or Toronto going to Houston. They, they talk about it. Then they try to get the best deal that they possibly can get by giving up the least amount of players for the player that they want in return. Um, you know, at the end of the day, just like I talked in the last episode, uh, you know, I think there was a few different teams that were on the radar for Pat Gillick and they were looking in multiple areas to upgrade their team, whether it was starting pitching or whether it was outfield play or what it might have been. Uh, I just think that they had multiple multiple irons in the fire, so to speak, one with Seattle, one with Oakland. They were trying to negotiate the best deal. Um, you know, I think I think it was coming down to the very end of the deadline uh, at midnight. So it was like maybe 11.30, 11.45 at night. And I think Pat and Gord were trying to call the GM of the, of the Mariners and he wouldn't answer the phone or he just didn't answer the phone for whatever reason. And the next thing you know, they called Billy back um, and, and told him that they would do it. And then because there were multiple things going on, Billy had to track Ricky Henderson down and get him to sign a no trade clause. He had a no trade clause. So he right. Ricky sign that and go from there. So. And uh, Ricky did agree to do it. And uh, history was changed course from there when uh, Ricky became a member of the Blue Jays among many of his other teams that he ended up playing on. Yeah, absolutely. And I apologize if you hear me, but my earbuds have just uh, went loose on me. So I might be just using my microphone to uh, talk in for the rest of the episode. I, I've had situations where I've had to change my microphone. I had to change the camera, internet. It, it, what can go wrong goes wrong. It's funny, but uh, your video quality has been great the whole time. Your audio, so we're we're good with it. No worries. Yeah, yeah. Now, as we're finishing off the trade deadline, I know you always say you're very impartial to your last team, the Brewers, that you were coaching on for three years. Trade deadline 2022, looking towards the playoffs here. How sick are the Brewers of the Cardinals? Are they the, if you think about it from that division, they would have it so locked up. If not for those pesky Cardinals, how annoying are the Cardinals for the Brewers? Uh, I don't think they're annoying. I think they knew that they were going to be in a fight till the end of the season with the Cardinals. The Cardinals, the Cardinals are always a team who has uh, a lot of talent on their roster. Uh, they, they sign free agents. They spend money. Obviously they traded for Aaron Otto a few years back and he's making a boatload of money, but uh you know, at the end of the day, I think that the Brewers knew that, uh, you know, it's always a battle for the division. Uh, it's going to come down, in my opinion, to the last two weeks of the season. It's going to be the head-to-head against the Cardinals. Whoever's the healthiest, whoever makes some trade deadline acquisitions, I think maybe has the advantage, uh, whether it's a Josh Bell going to the Brewers. Uh, you know, I, I think the Cardinals would have a big advantage if they did land uh, Juan Soto without blowing up their whole roster. I mean, he's a, a really tough out in the middle of a lineup. Just imagine you had to go through Goldschmidt, Soto, and Arenado in the in the middle of the Cardinal lineup. It would, it would be a really tough go and a tough ask to go three times without giving up, uh, you know, a, a few runs to, to that middle of the order. And Goldschmidt's having a tremendous year as it is, so... He's one of those guys when they acquired him, you know, he was so consistent. You're thinking, okay, they made, they paid a big price and then paid a big contract. 
And now we're going to see a decline and he just keeps going. Like he's been so consistent for them. I would say they must be so thrilled. It was a match made in heaven and uh, love him on the cards. I think it's worked out fantastic for both sides there, obviously. Yeah. He's a pro's pro. I mean, I think he goes about his business, uh, you know, on a daily basis. He, he understands the game. He doesn't get too high or he get too low from what it seems. I don't know him, but uh, playing against them and, and watching them play for, for many, many years, it just seems like, he, he goes, he's daily grind, goes about his business and comes to the ballpark to work every day. And, 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 if, and if he's an A plus, I would say uh, Rowdy Telez, he was uh, trying to work his way into Goldschmidt. Maybe he's been an A minus or B plus, but a very pleasant surprise for the Brewers. I hope he keeps it up. And if the Brewers were to call you up now and say, Cars, listen, we need your opinion here. We're, I think we're a couple of pieces away. Where, where do you think we should be looking at? Would you be saying hitting? starting relief what would you say for the brewers add a little more depth if you could pick one would you uh i think they need a combination of things in my opinion i think yeah. they need one more bat in their lineup uh and i do need think that they need one more power reliever at the back end uh to mix in with boxberger uh williams and hater um uh to get them over the hump and and i think if they go in that direction they'll be in a really good uh in a really good spot Josh Bell, Robertson, boom, I've solved your problems for you. And there you go. We're good to go. Yeah, Josh Bell might be a really good pickup. I mean, uh, you know, Rowdy's having a tremendous year uh, offensively, right? Um, defensively, uh, I don't know if it's a wash between those two guys uh, or not. Um, I don't think David Robertson uh, is the answer, to be quite honest with you. I think he wouldn't be, he wouldn't be traded to – uh, the Brewers, unless the Brewers gave up something to, uh, you know, the Cubbies being in division. A lot of teams yeah. don't like to trade in division of uh, their players, uh, especially sending young guys back to another team where they can hurt them for years to come. So that, that might be yeah. just a tough, uh, a tough go. That's where, I, you know, it's funny because in my mind as a fan sitting back and thinking about it, if I'm the Cubbies at this point, I think the division is almost irrelevant, it feels to me, because I'm so far behind. I just want to acquire as many prospects as I can. But I can see it from the Brewers' point of view that they don't want to see that guy now for the next 10 years. But again, if that's the only arm available, they may not have a choice. Uh, look, even the Yankees and Mets have traded in the past. so True, but I don't know if it's been high-profile players, right? Uh, yeah. Guys, like, I, I'm just throwing a name out there. This is, I don't know anything besides what I'm telling you right now. But yes. say you traded a Keston Ura for a Robertson and then Keston came back for the next five years and just beat you up uh, game after game. Um, you know, it just, it, it's not a good look. And that's why I think teams within divisions have a hard time. It's just, it's just like Soto. Uh, I heard the Mets and the Yankees are in on Soto. Yes. If it comes down to both of them, they're going to trade them to the Yankees in the American league. And they're not going to trade them to the Mets because then next year when they're trying to win the division, Soto is going to be playing against them 19 times. Have you ever heard of a player that's a high profile that the Yankees and Mets are not on? Like literally it's, it's a never ending field of prospects. It, I don't understand how they manage to keep doing it. But then when you hear as far as their scouting goes and in, in Latin countries and they got these 17 year old, 18 year old, they just keep finding them. It's incredible. Like the Yankees farm system is a sight to be seen and how many guys end up graduating from there. And you have to do it in order to trade for guys. You got to keep that prospect you know, mill running and the Yankees are as good as anybody else at doing that. So, you know, kudos to them. Like, yep. 
But that being said, there was a lot of years that they were very crappy. You know, people forget about that. They think the Yankees have always been the gold standard, but go back and look at history books, folks, in 1980s. It wasn't that pretty for them. So there was, there was lean years. There's always a window of opportunity to win. Uh, and every team is a little bit different. You know, like I said, the Brewers uh, have a three or four year window of opportunity starting in 19, uh, 19, uh, 18, 19, 20, 21, now 22 and maybe 23 before uh, the prices get real high for some of their starters. And it's just the circle, circle of life in baseball. And, and certain teams are like that. I mean, the Cubs went through it, right? They had to trade Rizzo. They had to trade uh, Bryant and all those guys, Jack Peterson. I mean, uh, they, they traded all of those guys, uh, you know, when they felt like they were out of it and, and, and far behind and tried to restock their farm system and get young players for them. And it's hard, like even the Brewers, you know, and, and when you're a smaller market team, you can't have that many misses when you're the Yankees, you can miss on half the team and just cover it up with more money, you know, but when Ryan Braun was, was, was a great contract at the beginning near the end, not so great. Yelich where he's at, you know, Kane, you, they, they spend big money, big names. These guys did produce, but if things don't always go right, you can't just throw another 10, 20 million, say I'll go over the, over the luxury tax. It, it, they don't have the same luxury as the Yankees. So, uh, We'll see. It'll be interesting playoffs this year for certain. I, I can't think of any of these acquisitions are actually going to end up making it over the hump. But certainly, you know, we've seen teams uh, on trade deadlines where they acquire one or two players and it spark plugs them right to the playoffs. And I've seen players that were hard and soul guys that get gutted from a team and then the team drops. And so I, I guess the front office, when speaking with their coaches, got to factor all of that into play. Chemistry is a real thing on a ball club. If you trade a guy who is like the glue of your team in that clubhouse, it can have a real negative effect. So, uh, you know, some GMs take that into account. Some don't, depending on what the deal is. But at the end of the day, chemistry is a real thing within a ball club. And, and uh, you know, guys play for each other when they're out there, out there to win. And I'll be curious to see with this uh, added playoff uh, with the third wildcard team, how that plays out and, uh, you know, having to go through a, an, another uh, series, uh, especially with your, with your pitching. Yeah, it'll be an interesting year this year. And if we're going to talk about chemistry, you know, we've talked about it in previous episodes. Just go back to the history books in 2001, ask that Atlanta Braves team what it was like to have Steve Carsey walk in and John Rocker to walk out. And those Cleveland Indians and John Rocker walking into that clubhouse at that time. Talk about chemistry. We, we, we always laugh about it, but you two are as different personalities as you can get. And you said uh, all those Atlanta pitchers back in the day rolled out the red carpet for you and gave you a standing ovation. And we're happy to see you. Yeah. Me and Steve Reed, you know, they were really, you know, at that time it was just tumultuous. I mean, you know, they did that story. Uh, Perlman did that story on rocker and it doesn't just affect John rocker, right? It affects the whole clubhouse because now uh, the media is asking John Smoltz about John Rocker. They're asking Maddox about John Rocker, about what he said, and are they like that, or you know, whatever the whatever the media wants to conjure up and, and ask a player. Uh, the player has to be willing because that's part of his job. But it starts to weigh on guys. It starts to become tedious, and that some guys just don't want that. And and if one or two guys bring that negativity to the clubhouse it really affects the team as a whole and may affect the play of the team on the field uh you know whether they want to admit that or not i promise you this as long as there's breath in my body i will continue to search for john rocker 
Uh, he has gone silent on social media for at least the last couple of years. I know he is out there somewhere. One day we can have him on the show and talk about the trade and you guys can exchange ideas and stories. Uh, I'm certainly game. I'm sure you're game. And uh, John, if you're out there, you're listening, buddy. Chosen Journey, we'd love to have you. So you never know who's going to appear next. Yeah, I mean, you uh, you do a tremendous job working hard and and, and getting guests and, and trying to get them on the list to uh, to appear. So it's uh, it's it's nice. It's also it's funny. You and I have a great friendship, brotherhood, teamwork. Uh, you you plant seeds either consciously or subconsciously, and you just throw it out there, and you're thinking like, "This is so wacky, he won't go for it." And then I'm on it within a minute. Like, all, and it, you know, when we had on uh, Scott Burrell, and yeah. I don't think you did that with the intention that I was gonna go bring Scotty on the show, but the second you said a name, and I realized that was your roommate. I had yeah. to, I had to bring him on. I thought, and the more I read about his story, I said, man, how perfect that was. And having him on for three episodes, I mean, holy crap, whatever you did uh, and inspired this man during your days in St. Catharines, he went on to the last dance in the championship with the bulls. So clearly you're a great teammate for him. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, I think we inspired each other. I think, you know, uh, people, people flock together uh, that are very similar and, and have passion for something and, and drive for something and, and, and challenge themselves. So, uh, you know, it's just one of them, one of those things, again, not personal. Yes, but it, it, it's in everybody. Everybody has their own challenges. Everybody has, again, uh, their own personal uh, triumphs and, and they just want to go out there and, and do the best for themselves and do the best for their family. So uh, mine was, mine was more tracked on succeeding as a baseball player. He was, succeeding at sports in general and basketball was his his road uh to uh you know to becoming who he was and i'm just happy for him that it, it worked out the way he wanted it to work out and where he's at now and you guys have kept in touch since the uh since the the, the, the uh, chapters aired yeah we've uh texted a few times back and forth just to check in and see how he's going and uh you know, it's again, nice to hear from him and I don't want to take up too much of his time. So it's just a random text here or there about something that I, maybe I read or, or, or see that uh, involves him or, or involves basketball. But that, you know, his story, his journey was in my mind, a classic prototype of when, when you named the show, the chosen journey was, this is not just going to be Steve Carsey's baseball story, even though a lot of it is built around it and talking about your career and learning your story and your journey. But then the people that you touched their lives, people touched your life, and then hearing about their journeys. And uh, Scott Burrell's journey was as unique as they come. And looking forward to my friend as, uh, you know, we're not going to give away too much here, but we'll continue to grow and make baseball history on the chosen journey. And there's exciting things to come in the fall. Everybody stay tuned. We're going to have big ones for you. So just... You never know who's going to come on next. That's the best I Yeah, can I know. You're trying to plug it, but we're, uh, we're, we're moving in the right direction. And, uh, you know, I think there's going to be special things uh, to come, uh, you know, on, on this show. Aside from being able to resurrect Babe Ruth from the dead uh, through a seance, we're going to come pretty close this year. This is going to be a big one. People stay tuned. If you've ever loved baseball and baseball history, we're on it. Stay tuned for the chosen. Something show. special is coming. Absolutely. Steve, big money grip. Always a pleasure. Thank you for walking us through trade deadlines. And we never know what's going to hit on the next chapter. 
And uh, sometimes we're going forward, sometimes we're going backwards, and uh, we'll see you back on the next chapter. Absolutely, Jonathan. Thank you. Have a great one, buddy. Thank you. You too.